Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's minor hockey map is changing. Where are gas prices headed this summer? We have new research on scheduling sex, as well as Parkinson's disease and rage applying. And there's a new voice for the Mohawk men's basketball team. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Due to a steep drop in registration over the last decade, Hamilton's minor hockey map is being redrawn. The problem is not everyone is a fan of it. Mike Laurie is the president of the Rosedale Minor Hockey Association and joins us now on GMH. Mike, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. There's lots to unpack here, though. In, in essence, uh, because fewer kids are getting into hockey in this city, the Minor Hockey Council of Hamilton is proposing to create basically two tiers, one for rep hockey, one for house league, and they would play against each other. Is, is that basically what is being mapped out here? Kind of. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, the, the rep, uh, the Hamilton Huskies, and the, the well, we'll stick with the Huskies because they're alliance, and that's where we run at her. So they'll stay the same as they are. It's your house league. So you're Rosedale, Lawfield, Shadok, Coronation, Mountain, DeFasco. Those associations are going to change. This is their proposal. So your regular house league would run. You'd have, if I have my four teams and now I'm going to, my four teams are going to interlock with the rest of the city in those four teams. So taking my select out of it. So out of my four teams, I could pick one select team out of the top players of those teams and go and represent our association across the province. They want to take that and make that kind of the tier one. And so you would try out for that ahead of time. And then if you didn't make that, then you would go to house league. You wouldn't play both ways. And they believe that that is going to grow the game by maybe drawing some of the actual Husky kids back down, which if they were up in the Huskies and they didn't make the Huskies again, they had to come down anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a, it is a big change for, for hockey in the city. The, the, the two tier system isn't really the way anybody really wants to go other than a small few. When will a final decision be made? I, this we don't know. So there was a meet, there was a, the annual general meeting was supposed to happen on the 18th, but they're getting a ton of pushback right now. So they're, they've postponed it. So it's now going to be a hockey council meeting. So the presidents and the council will meet on the 18th uh, for further discussion on all of this. I mean, it's, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for hockey. It's not going to grow the, the, the game. But, I mean, growing the game in hockey is going to consist of dropping the fees. Yeah, by by merging all, all these house league divisions, if you will, or associations, I'm I'm going to guess that a lot of hockey moms and dads are going to think, you know, I'm, now I got increased travel time, I'm going to have increased frustration. It might end up costing more families to say, uh, you know what, no, I'm uh, let's do something else with our kids. Correct. I mean, there there is an interlock that that happens now. So, I mean, if you have three teams and you, you can't run a loop inside your own division. So you reach out to have a team come to you or one of your teams go to another arena to play, to get that fourth game in that that's what we do right now to, to help us get by with our lower numbers. I mean, the, we've been doing it since my son's been in hockey. My son's in U18 now. 
And I, I, I don't see anything that's wrong with it. If, if everybody was running well, had four teams per division, we wouldn't need to do it. But, I mean, we all reach out and we all help each other. And that's, I believe we should just keep doing that as as we see needed but to get new people into hockey we need to lower our fees mike laurie is the president of the rosedale minor hockey association and a guest of ours here on good morning hamilton on 900 chml you can check out the association on instagram for example at rosedale minor hockey why has registration in this city been going down is it simply a case of cost or is it also because there are more options out there as well uh it's both i mean i have papers here from i mean alliance alliance's numbers over the last five or eight year trend has been you know 2015 was 2500 people and 2023 22 23 this season we're looking at 1565 people across the city hamilton Hmm. not counting the huskies but it was trending downward up until covid the 2020 year and now we're moving back up so 2021 we had an extra 250 players, 300 players, and then another 200 more players last year. This is because we believe some of the associations are putting in the extra work. You know, we're, we're actively out. My volunteers are out looking for sponsors. We're fundraising. We're doing what we can to drop the prices. We get a little bit handcuffed because now we're, we're mandated that we have to charge the same prices across the city except for U9 when I could make hockey cheaper. By, from my sponsors and my fundraising across the board in my division, but we're, they've, we've just changed the rules saying we're not allowed to do that. The IP program is where it all starts. We need, we need to lower the cost of the IP program somehow, whether it's the Hockey Council finding some corporate sponsors. There, there needs to be help from the Hockey Council, not just dictating. Yeah, like let's... They, they come in, they tell us the rules, and there's no help. They, they, they have no, no way of helping out, and that's a problem. When $540 to play IP hockey up at the quad or at Shadoke, and a, a family from Barton and Wentworth area has to go there because that's where they have to play it. And they have to take a bus to get there at seven in the morning mm-hmm. is is impossible. Plus your equipment, another two hundred dollars on equipment, it's seven hundred some dollars. And I'm running my U nine starts at three hundred dollars right now. Wow, so it's a wrong sports analogy, but it sounds like three strikes and and that family is out. And we're seeing that across the board. Mike, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time. Appreciate your time this morning. Best of luck in this fight. It sounds like uh, it, it's going to be some uh, heavy lifting from here on in. But I appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you. Mike Laurie is the president of Rosedale Minor Hockey Association at Rosedale Minor Hockey on their social media feeds. Uh, Love to see more kids take up the sport of hockey. It's our national pastime. But as you can imagine, and you just heard, it is cost prohibitive for many families in this community. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One thing that's on our minds and has been for, well, the last number of years, if not all the time is gas prices. Whether you are planning a summer trip this year or just going to and from work and thinking, how am I going to make this work? Where are gas prices going this summer? Patrick DeHaan is the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Bunny and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Patrick, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good. Uh, great to be with you. Well, let's cut to the chase. Where are gas prices going this summer? 
Well, uh, up. Uh, we'll just cut to the chase real quickly. We've already seen prices up about five cents a liter here in the last week. The average now about one fifty two point one. Uh, and I do think we'll continue to see a little bit of advance over the next, call it four to eight weeks. Uh, we're not going to see last summer's uh, high prices. I'm hopeful that we can avoid those. But keep in mind, with carbon taxes continue to go up, there is still an outside chance. We have made the switch over in many areas across Canada to summer gasoline, uh, or I should say that transition is in progress, and that's boosting prices, uh, summer gasoline required uh, by uh, many in the U.S., and of course the Canadian market feeds off the United States, so the switchover happening in Canada. Refineries also doing maintenance, but my goodness, the price of oil in the last four weeks is also up 23%, and that's going to push up gas prices as well. So there's a lot of stressors right now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of typical uh, for uh, for gasoline prices. It's never just one or two things. It seems to be quite a bit more. You know, oil prices had traded as low as $65 a barrel about a month ago on the height of the banking uh, crisis in the U.S. and in Switzerland on the fear that it could uh, throw economies into a recession. But I think that's now in the rear view. Combined with OPEC, who last week decided to uh, surprisingly and unexpectedly cut oil production by over a million barrels a day. And of course, OPEC controls about a third of the world's oil production. So uh, that decision alone caused the price of oil to jump 7%. So um, I am hopeful, though, that we will round a corner shortly after uh, Victoria Day. Uh, and we should see some relief uh, in the uh, latter half of the summer as well with prices sliding. But uh, like I said, for four to six weeks, we may continue to see prices inching up. Any guesstimate on where it tops out? Well, uh, you know, uh, last year at this time we were paying about a dollar sixty-one. Uh, we could see prices uh, rising another fifteen to maybe twenty-five cents a liter. I'm hopeful that we will not get to the two-dollar a liter mark. We should stay well under it. But if there are any refinery issues, that could boost prices. So let's call it somewhere in the uh, mid to upper dollar a liter range. Uh, we'll, we'll say about a dollar seventy, maybe a dollar seventy-five. Uh, but again, any further escalations in the global uh, uh, balance of things could push prices up a little bit beyond that. But again, I'm hopeful that we can avoid the $2 a liter mark. we only got 30 seconds. Is the war in Ukraine still having an impact on oil prices and what we're seeing at the pumps? It's having some impact, a lot less than it did last year. Uh, oil prices uh, still elevated because of Russia's war in Ukraine, because the flow of oil is not necessarily free. Uh, it's brought in a lot of, of shifts in where oil is moving, but uh, it, oil prices have come down quite a bit. So uh, the biggest thing is there that Russia is continuing to send oil uh, abroad. Patrick, appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Patrick DeHaan is the head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. You can check out more details online, gasbuddy.com. You know, if, if gas prices top out at a buck seventy-five, yes, very high, but not as high as last summer's two dollar earlier, two fourteen in the GTA last June. So yeah, if we can shave off a quarter, 35 cents, 40 cents from last year's high, I, I'd be okay with that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Researchers from York University Sexual Health and Relationships Lab have studied whether or not scheduled sex was more satisfying than the spontaneous variety. Now, whether you, you do one 
or the other or both, you might have a good idea of which one is better for you. And of course, everyone's different. But let's talk to one of the individuals that actually analyzed this. Kat Kova, psychotherapist and PhD graduate student at York University, is joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kat, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How did this topic of study come up? Did someone say, hey, you know what we got to do is we got to (laughs) put scheduled sex against spontaneous hanky-panky and see which one's better. Is that how it all started? Yeah, that's how it all started. Well, we, we know that people usually endorse spontaneous sex, or at least it's kind of what we see in film and media, and so assumed to be true. So we wanted to kind of test out whether or not people actually endorse spontaneous sex, and not just that, whether or not it actually had anything to do with sexual satisfaction. So inquiring minds want to know, how did you study this? All right, so we conducted two studies with adults from Canada and the U.S., and we explored people's beliefs and experiences as well with planned and spontaneous sex. And across both studies, we found that people endorsed spontaneous sex to a greater degree than they did planned sex. Now, in our first study, uh, where we surveyed 303 individuals, there was a relationship between endorsing spontaneous sex and having greater sexual satisfaction. But when we asked about people's last experience, having spontaneous sex wasn't related to reporting greater sexual satisfaction, even for those who more strongly endorsed spontaneous sex. And then we did a second study and tracked 102 couples' experiences over the course of 21 days. And we didn't find any associations at all between having spontaneous sex throughout that three-week period and sexual satisfaction. This was true regardless of people's beliefs about spontaneous and planned sex. So largely, even though people believed spontaneous sex was more satisfying, like we predicted they would, the results from the study didn't seem to support that it's true. And that's something therapists like myself have been trying to educate our clients and trying to get them to kind of buy in on for years and years and years and years. So the perception is that spontaneous on-the-spot sex is going to be much more mind-blowing than, hey, this Saturday night we're going to go out for dinner and then afterwards, you know, we'll get a little busy. That That is, in reality, could be, for many people, much more satisfying. You got it. I don't know if it could be much more satisfying. I think the important thing was that just largely there were no differences. Hmm. So I kind of encourage people to think about planning Well, first to recognize how much planning goes into creating all kinds of satisfying, meaningful experiences in our daily life, like going on vacation or like having a satisfying career Um, and thinking about planning uh, intentionality as just another tool in the toolbox. And, you know, it's really funny. I, I talked to my friend before coming on the show this morning to tell her and hello <laughs> to my friend. I won't name names. <laughs> and uh, she just had a baby. So she was kind of saying my vote goes for scheduled sex because it's just really hard to find time when you have a baby. So I think it's just something to consider when people are going through challenging periods where spontaneity is a little bit more difficult, like having a baby or when you're really busy at work. That's a great point. We only got about 45 seconds. Is the planned part of it too that mind frame that says, all right, this is going to happen. Let's get ready. And that kind of, I don't know, heightens the senses. 
You know what? We did have some participants. We asked some open-ended questions about this too to ask how did planning or spontaneous sex like enhance or detract from your experience? And lots of people that were, you know, pro-planned sex or had planned sex said that it really increased their anticipation. I think one participant even wrote something like, you know, not like planning at 7 p.m., but more like I'm a light your fire anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting stuff. Kat, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks. Not only thanks for sharing the insight, but doing the study as well. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank you. Kat Kova is a psychotherapist, Ph.D., grad student at York University and part of the Sexual Health and Relationships Lab at York U. Really interesting stuff. Google uh, York U scheduled or spontaneous sex and uh, the report will flash before your eyes. It's pretty uh, interesting stuff. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. April is Parkinson's Awareness Month and today is World Parkinson's Day. More than... 100,000 Canadians are living with Parkinson's disease, and uh, sadly, that number is growing steadily. So now the question is, are we making progress when it comes to treatments and the potential cure? Our next guest was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2017, and a year later, he and his wife launched the Curious Cast podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. In 2020, he co-founded the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's Disease, and this summer, he's been invited to speak at the World Parkinson's Congress in Barcelona, Spain. His name is Larry Gifford. He's the National Director of Talk Radio at Chorus Entertainment, host of the award-winning podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's, and co-founder of PD Avengers, a global alliance to end Parkinson's disease. And we welcome Larry Gifford to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. Larry, good morning. How are you? Well, good morning. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. This is uh, World Parkinson's Day. What does this day mean for you? Well, this is a day of uh, getting the collective Parkinson's community to uh, speak out and, uh, you know, with one big voice and say, hey, we're here and we're growing faster than, than any other neurological disease out there. So help. <laughs> a lot of people know that Michael J. Fox has become the face of this disease, but we really only see him in short video clips and, and truly don't know what it's like to live with Parkinson's. So I'll ask you, what is it like? It's a roller coaster. Every day is different. Uh, every hour could be different. Uh, your symptoms are on and off, and your medication ebbs and flows, uh, and your your symptoms can be different. You know, every day you wake up. Um, there's well over forty symptoms for Parkinson's disease. Not everybody gets the same same ones. Some of them are motor symptoms. A lot of them are non-motor symptoms. Uh, it, it's really a full body disease. Uh, and it's, um, you know, it's something that you have to get used to, to just living in the moment and accepting what's, what's thrown at you at that moment. You're also an active member with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And just yesterday, it announced that it was partnering with the Canadian Parkinson's community to expand a landmark study. Where are we at with research and treatments for PD? Well, it's a really exciting time. There's three studies right now underway that are in phase three uh, trials for, for, for drugs. One of them is a repurpose to cough medicine that they think could actually be the first of, its, of, uh, of the uh, disease-altering medications that we've been so, so, so forward uh, looking for. Um, so those are phase three. There's three, three phases. It's the last of the phase. The next phase would be um, they would get approval from the FDA to, to, um, to actually 
sell sell the drug. So that's exciting. And in Hamilton right now, there's a big study going on right now on um, it's a randomized controlled trial uh, with uh, the medical company Symbix and the Gateway Neurophysio in Hamilton, and uh, they're using light therapy uh, to help with the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Um, and so they, they use red light and they use infrared light, uh, both your gut, your, your vagus nerve, and then also your head. And uh, it's a really fascinating. I'm actually starting that treatment today, so we'll see how it goes. Wow. What are your thoughts going into this thing? Uh, well, it's not evasive. I like that idea. Uh, it's something that, you know, we've been using light therapy uh, to treat different you know things for over 100 years now. Uh, including uh, a lot of people, especially in Canada, have the have the the light in the winter time for seasonal dis- dis- disorder, uh, uh, seasonal affective disorder. So I know I've got one with those lights. So light light can really help us heal. And uh, so we'll see what what happens. I'm I'm excited. We have another minute with Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio at Chorus Entertainment, host of the award-winning podcast When Life Gives You Parkinson's, also co-founder of PD Avengers, a global alliance to end Parkinson's disease. You can check him out on social media at PD Avengers, at Parkinson's Pod, at Parkinson's Spark. How can people get involved today? Go to worldparkinsonsday.com. We have, uh, you know, we've pre-designed some some social media assets, but you can also create your own from the assets that are there. We'll give you the raw assets. Uh, and then you also can learn about Parkinson's. You can, you can buy swag that, you know, any profits made will go towards, you know, uh, really rallying the, the, the community. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, we're doing a lot of advocacy work. Um, and, and just, you know, if you know somebody with Parkinson's, reach out to them today, ask them, uh, you know what they want you to know about Parkinson's, what, about their experience, because everybody's Parkinson's is different. Every journey is unique, and um, it's just nice to know that there's people out there that are, are interested in thinking about you. So, uh, if you know somebody with Parkinson's, reach out and say hi. If you don't know, you know, learn learn some information at WorldParkinson'sDay.com and, and tuck it away because this disease is spreading faster than any other uh, neurological. Uh, disease on the planet, and it's going to the number of people with Parkinson's today will double by the year 2040. That is phenomenal. I also encourage our listeners to subscribe to the award winning podcast When Life Gives You Parkinson's. You can find it online at curiouscast.ca. Larry, that's all the time we have. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. That's Larry Gifford, National Director of Talk Radio Chorus Entertainment. Uh, just a, a, an avenger in terms of raising awareness. Uh, a heightened awareness about Parkinson's disease in this country. Go online at worldparkinsonsday.com to find out more. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Rage applying has apparently replaced quiet quitting as the next big trend in the workplace. You're probably thinking, rage applying, what the heck is that? Well, a new poll by recruitment specialist firm Robert Walters shows 67% of business professionals in this country have admitted to rage applying to a new job since the beginning of the year. Let's talk about it with Martin Fox, Managing Director with Robert Walters Canada, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Martin, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Maybe we'll set the stage here and talk about rage applying. What the heck is it? Sure. Um, Well, put simply, it's uh, a term that refers to an employee mass applying to jobs after a buildup of frustrations with their current employer. 
And it sounds like a lot of Canadians have admitted to doing this since the start of this year. Uh, your poll found that 67% of Canadian professionals um, have already done this. Was this a number that you expected to see? Um, I didn't think it was going to be that high, honestly. Um, but, you know, looking at the recruitment and employment landscape of the last few years coming out of COVID and the candidate short market that we're in, I'm, you know, I, I do get it. Um, and it's it's actually quite an easy thing to do now. Um, so I think when people think about this, they may think, oh, um, that must take a lot of time or that must take, you know, a lot of strategic kind of uh you know, uh, tact to do it. But in this day and age with LinkedIn and, and AI and um, and bots and everything, you can do a, you know, a multitude of applications within a, a matter of a click. So it's not as, I guess, labor intensive to do this as it used to be. What are some of the factors that are at play that are fueling this increase in rage applying? Well, over half of the respondents uh, state a toxic workplace culture. Um, and, you know, this is something that is... Uh, a term that is becoming more and more prevalent when speaking to employees about um, how they go about their, you know, their their day and how they search for firms. So, this and, and that could mainly come down to their relationship with with management and the culture, not pay or career progression or you know job titling, which used to be the you know the more classic reasons why people would look for another job, uh, which we found really interesting in this survey. Are most businesses realizing this is the cause? How are they be, how are they affected by this? Um, I don't think they are, Rick. I think a lot of businesses are, are behind. Um, they are probably unprepared for this trend. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's something that is, I don't think, a... Um, a factor of businesses becoming more toxic per se, it is more professionals simply not standing for any type of poor workplace culture anymore. Uh, and they expect management and leaders to act on this much quicker, um, which has all kind of been born out of the rise in, uh, in awareness on mental health and the link to workplaces and, and everyone's well-being. So people are speaking up more and businesses need to realize that and uh, build into their recruitment processes a um, a focus on culture mat matches to ensure that both, you know, the company and prospective employees are vocal about what kind of worker or workplace they are looking for. Talking about the new trend in the workplace, Rage Applying with Martin Fox, Managing Director of Recruitment Specialist Firm Robert Walters Canada. You can find out more info online at robert-walters.ca. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What can employers do, if anything, to subside this trend? Is it simply to improve the culture in the workplace? Well, there's a few things that we recommend, Rick. I mean, first of all, it, it has to be um, put on management's agenda. So we have to ensure, our business have to ensure that managers understand that team morale and a positive work environment is a core responsibility of theirs. And, you know, business leaders should raise this in management meetings often um, and ask managers what type of activities and initiatives have taken place in, say, the last month or quarter to encourage inclusivity. So it very much sits at, at management level. Um Companies can launch anonymous feedback surveys, and this is something that, that Robert Walters has done quite well the last couple of years, where it's a very basic initiative, but I don't think um, enough employers do it. So it's a, it's it's an anonymous survey where um, employees can speak up about how they're feeling, open and honestly, you know, from a safe place um, on on culture, and uh, you know, management has to then, of course, take time to read all that collected um, information and, and get a steer on what's going wrong and and address it. 
And, and finally, Rick, um, you know, you have to invest time and money. Culture does not come for free. Uh, the fact is workplaces are made up of a set of people brought together because of their varying skill sets or qualifications, not because they would be, you know, the best, best of friends. So companies really need to put effort into helping create a friendly, social and inclusive environment. These things don't just happen by chance. Great uh, insight, analysis, and tips from Martin Fox from Robert Walters Canada. Martin, appreciate your time this morning, and uh, hopefully none of your employees rage applied to anything today. I, I hope not. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for, for your time, Rick. Martin Fox is a managing director with recruitment specialist firm Robert Walters Canada. More details online, robert-walters.ca. Uh, to this poll, over two-thirds of Canadian professionals, 67%, and Martin admitted that he didn't think the number was going to be that high, have admitted to rage applying to a new job since the start of this year. And number one on the list in, in terms of reasons why, the toxic work environment being that primary motivating factor. So, you know, you have a bad day at work or a bad week at work, and you're not really believing in the go-forward plan, you can't blame a lot of people saying, eh, the heck with this, I'm going to go on, as Martin mentioned, LinkedIn or any kind of social media site or any kind of job site and say, all right, I've, I've had enough of this, let's go for something else. It sounds like more and more people are doing that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Not long after legendary head coach Brian Jonker announced his retirement for the Mohawk College men's basketball team, the Mountaineers have named a new head coach. And that new head coach joins us now. Jamie Girolametto is the new head boss at the Mohawk men's basketball team and joins us now. Jamie, good morning. How are you? I'm, good morning. Good morning. I'm I'm very good, Rick. Thank you very much for having me on. Hey, thanks for coming on. Your thoughts on getting this new gig? Yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. Uh, you know, Mohawk has had great tradition of uh, of uh, being successful in the province, and uh, I just hope I can continue that on. You're at Redeemer University College for ten years. You've decided to make the jump to Mohawk. Was this a opportunity that was just too good to pass up? Um. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't something that I was in my larger plans, but um, Brian Jonker actually gave me a call to let me know that he was retiring and, you know, thought he'd be, I'd be a really good fit to uh, to jump over to Mohawk. And, uh, you know, once I learned a little bit more about, uh, you know, everything going on there and the opportunity, um, it, it just seemed like it would be a good move at this time. How much were you able to pick his brain on the ins and outs of what the Mountaineers have to offer? Oh, quite a bit. Uh, Brian and I have had a, a good relationship over the years, uh, you know, just through coaching. So uh, he, he's been a great resource going through this transition, and uh, he will continue to be a great resource as, uh, as we move forward. He was there for 17 years, won a national title. I mean, you're replacing an icon. What's that going to be like, do you think? Uh, yeah, there'll be some pressure to, you know, to succeed right away, the you know, there's there's a lot of good players on that team that we're picking up. Um, you know, they, they won a bronze medal this year at uh, at the provincial tournament, so uh, there'll be some pressure. But you know, in my entire coaching career, I think the greatest pressure I've ever felt was you know just from my own uh, from my own <laughs> pressure. Um, you know, I, I really uh, I put a lot of passion, a lot of time, energy into uh, into coaching and, and everything that goes with it. So. Uh, the, yeah, the greatest pressure I'm going to feel is going to be for myself. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Jamie Girolametto, the head coach of the Mohawk men's basketball team. You were an assistant coach on the staff of another local hoops legend in the city. That was Joe Razzo at uh, McMaster University back in the 2011-12 season. What did you learn from Joe? Um, to be honest, actually, the year I was at Mac was the year after uh, when Amos Conley had his uh, first year as, as coach at Mac. Uh, but my ties to Joe go go way back. So um, I played for for Joe at St. Mary's High School. Uh, played for Joe at, at McMaster University. Um, so Joe has had a huge, huge impact on my uh, on my coaching life. Uh, really, all my philosophies. Uh, you know, the way a game plan and practice plan and all that is is it's really it's mirroring what Joe had done. Uh, and obviously, he was quite successful in his, uh, <laughs> you know, his long run as a coach. How would you describe your coaching style, and what kind of team are you going to put on the court this season? Yeah, I think that the thing that excited me most about coming to Mohawk was, you know, really being able to get a local Hamilton contingent. So, when Joe was most successful at McMaster, his, you know, the core of his team were we're local Hamilton guys. And then when you have local Hamilton guys, you know, you're trying to put on the court that Hamilton tough team. Um, you know, if you're looking at any of our sports, you know, the tie cats always talk about steel city. It's no different in basketball. Um, you know, Hamilton's got a good reputation of being tough defensive minded type team. And that's, uh, definitely what I want to bring to, to Mohawk, um, and do it with a lot of local players. Uh, Hamilton's a great area for basketball, for youth basketball, and uh, I'd love to try and keep guys home, uh, which would then also hopefully get a whole bunch of people in the stands coming to watch these games. We have another minute with Jamie Girolamento, the new head coach of the Mohawk men's basketball team. Basketball in this city has been strong for many years now, um, but considering the likes of, you know, superstars like Kia Nurse, Shea Gilgis-Alexander coming out of this city, does that heighten the level of talent that we've seen over the last number of years? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, the, the game has grown, not just in Hamilton, obviously in Canada, but, uh, you know, on any given weekend, you can, you can go to any recreational facility now, uh, you know, they got a ton of these playground hoop sites uh, across the province. and There's just so many kids playing basketball now. Um, so it's, you know, it's only a, it's a, it's a numbers game where, yeah, you're going to find some tremendous talent coming out of, of all different areas. And, and Hamilton is, you know, next to none in terms of producing uh, great basketball players. And that um, competition to get that talent, because Mohawk's not the only game in town, plus you're competing against so many other programs in the province, it's going to be tough to you know, entice some of these athletes to come play for you. Yeah, and recruiting is, is definitely a, a huge part of it. Um, you know, when I was at Redeemer, I had that challenge that uh, being in university in the college league, I was, I was actually recruiting players that would be considering going to Mac or Brock or Guelph. Uh, so that was that was a big challenge, um, and now the challenge has changed. That now I've got to you know compete against all the other teams in our league and our OCAA uh, West Division is su- it's super strong, super good basketball. Uh, there's a lot of good coaches who are out there doing a lot of good recruiting. Uh, but Mohawk's a great school, uh, you know, and there's a lot of things going on there academically uh, that's making the school even more attractive and the athletic department there is making a real push to make, uh, you know, athletics really relevant, uh, and strong. So, you know, I think Mohawk can kind of recruit itself, 
Uh, and then hopefully I can just aid in the process and, and get these local players to stay home and, uh, and help us win some championships. That would be phenomenal to see. Jamie, appreciate your time today. Best of luck this coming season and beyond. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. That's Jamie Girolamento, the new head coach of the Mohawk men's basketball team. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.